The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters. Here's your top five at five. Stocks are coming off their best day in weeks as investors brace for the latest read on U.S. inflation due out later this week. Futures are higher. Fifteenth times the charm as Kevin McCarthy is sworn in as the next Speaker of the House. Why concessions made during the deal-making process could undermine his newfound power. In Brazil, thousands storming that country's Congress building over the weekend, demanding the removal of President Lula da Silva from one office just one week into his presidency. Plus, outrage in China over Tesla's latest price cuts and customers demanding refunds and credits for their latest EV purchases. Sticking with China and tens of thousands of travelers flocking to the nation's airports yesterday as Beijing officially removed nearly all of its COVID-era border controls. It's Monday, January 9th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange on CBC. Good morning. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan. Great to join you today. Let's take a look at where U.S. stock futures are trading after that nice rally we saw on Friday. Stocks right now in the pre-market trade are indicated higher. The Dow Jones, you can see right here, up 80 points. Nasdaq higher by 45, and the S&P 500 seeing a gain right now of around 14 points. This after the major indexes saw their best single-day gain since late November on Friday. The Dow surging up more than 2%, and sort of a similar story when you take a look at the broader S&P 500 and the Nasdaq with both indexes gaining more than 2% on the day and snapping their four-week losing streaks following that jobs report. Checking the bond market, we actually saw yields move lower following the December jobs report. Right now, take a look at the 10-year note. You'll see we're yielding at uh, 3.60%. In energy, both WTI and Brent falling more than 8% last week, breaking their three-week winning streaks. You'll see oil is trying to claw back some of those gains, up about 3.6%, holding on to that $76 mark. Let's turn to crypto and get a check on where Bitcoin is trading. Still been volatile over the past couple of weeks right now. Above 17000 up about 1.7%. You'll see Ether uh, seeing a gain of nearly 4%. But let's get a check on the overnight action in Asia. Early trade in Europe, Arabile Gumede standing by in London, for the latest. Arabile. Yes, Sima, good morning. So basically the market has really enjoyed the reopening uh, of China and really that Asian trading picture has looked a whole lot more positive. A lot of green across the board here. More than half a percent gained across the board with the uh, Hang Seng Index nearly 2% to the good. In fact, of course, key will be the interesting element out of Alibaba where uh, you are seeing Jack Ma then seed control of the Ant Group. There is some impact of that then onto the market picture. But the reopening of that market has also helped the European bosses, right? So they've moved uh, slightly higher, but we are expecting retail trading news as well to come out uh, a lot more this week. Particularly then today, we also saw the uh, UK branch of the German uh, discount retailer Little GP actually reporting that there was a 24.5% increase 
in their sales for the four weeks up to uh, the end of December. So that's 1.3 million more people shopping at the discount retailer compared to 2021, showing again that the cost of living crisis is beginning to hurt a little bit and people moving to discount retailers. So above the, uh, just below the flat line, though, is the FTSE 100 with a mixed trading board across the board for Europe. Excellent way to kick things off. Arabile, always great to see you. Let's stick with the latest happening overseas, specifically in Brazil, where far-right protesters stormed that country's Congress and presidential palace Saturday, insisting the recent presidential election was stolen. The scene, eerily similar to what happened at the U.S. Capitol just over two years ago. NBC's Marissa Parra reports. Chaos in Brazil. As thousands stormed the country's capital, protesting October's election results, supporters of far-right former president Jair Bolsonaro unwilling to accept his defeat to Luis Inácio Lula da Silva, otherwise known as Lula, seen here tonight in an emergency address, promising harsh consequences as Bolsonaro's election deniers smashed windows, wreaking havoc inside and out of the country's Congress, Supreme Court, and presidential palace. U.S. Secretary Blinken tweeting in part, quote, using violence to attack democratic institutions is always unacceptable. It's a scene all too familiar, two years after the January 6th attack. Only this time, Brazilian lawmakers largely weren't inside, and Brazil's new government is already in power, with Lula's inauguration just one week ago. But fears of an insurrection never fully quelled. In the days that followed Lula's win, Bolsonaro protesters blocked major roads. They set vehicles on fire, while Bolsonaro told the line, never formally conceding to Lula. Was the writing on the wall that this was coming? I would say these events were tragic but unsurprising, unfortunately. And there's been a consistent climate of denial among the, the, the supporters of the defeated presidents. Bringing calm to a country at a political boiling point will be Lula's first major test of his new presidency. Marissa Parra, NBC News. We've got much more on this and the market reaction coming up later on this show. But first, let's get to our morning's top corporate story. Silvana Hanau with those. Good morning, Silvana. Sima, good morning to you. Well, Goldman Sachs is reportedly kicking off a major round of job cuts, planning to eliminate about 3,200 positions as soon as this week. And that's according to multiple reports. Now, more than a third of the cuts will likely focus on the bank's core trading and banking units. Goldman also reportedly planning to unveil financials tied to its credit card lending business, which is likely to have recorded more than $2 billion in losses. Hundreds of Tesla owners gathering at the company's showrooms in cities across China over the weekend, demanding rebates and credits after the automaker's massive price cuts last week on its Model Y and Model 3 vehicles. Now, that marks Tesla's second price cut on vehicles in the last three months in that country. And shares of Alibaba surging in overnight trading following news its co-founder Jack Ma is ceding control of sister company Ant Group, potentially paving the way for a government-led IPO by the fintech giant after years of regulatory roadblocks. Now, the news from Baba coming just hours after new photos of the now reclusive Jack Ma surfaced on Instagram late yesterday, showing him at a restaurant in Bangkok with the caption, Incredibly humble, we are honored to welcome you and your family to J-Fi's. Seema? Wow, watching shows of Alibaba. Yeah. 
uh, gains of around 3% right now. Silvana, we'll see you later on, later on in the show. Now to Washington. After 15 rounds of votes, Congressman Kevin McCarthy officially taking the gavel as the next House Speaker late Friday night. But now, realizations over concessions made during the deal-making process could undermine his newfound power as an effective party leader. Ali Vitali of NBC reporting now. Kevin McCarthy celebrating a victory that almost didn't happen. That was easy, huh? It all came down to getting six hardline holdouts, not to yes, but to present. McCarthy pleading with House members Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert in full view of the cameras and all of Congress to get him the gavel. Some members phoned former President Donald Trump to help. Marjorie Taylor Greene passing off a call with DT to one reluctant member on the floor. At another point, McCarthy ally Mike Rogers had to be physically restrained from lunging at Gates. The height of the frustration on the floor and, sources told NBC News, a sign of anger bubbling over at possible deals offered to holdouts. Finally, just around midnight. Gates. Bobert. Rosendale. Present. And at last, a McCarthy victory. Two months ago, you voted for a new direction for our country. You embraced our commitment to America. And now we're going to keep our commitment to you. Installed officially in the Speaker's office, McCarthy ushering in a new era of divided government in Washington and quickly thanking Trump for his help. He was with me from the beginning. He would call me and he would call others. The newly minted Speaker promising immediate votes on defunding the IRS, a focus on the southern border and curbing spending. We must get America back on track. But the business of governing is likely to prove harder based on what McCarthy gave up in order to get the job. One member can now trigger a vote to oust the speaker. Freedom Caucus members notched spots on key committees. And McCarthy promised border security and balanced budget bills would get votes. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer speaking to concerns shared throughout Congress about the impact of McCarthy's deals, saying the concessions make it far more likely that the MAGA Republican-controlled House will cause a government shutdown or a default on the nation's debt. Both battles looming in the coming months. When we come back, new comments from Larry Summers over the Federal Reserve and the new base case for a possible Powell pivot. Plus, the retail pain trade is back in full force. What Macy's is telling investors that is putting pressure on the entire sector. And later, much more on China's travel boom and what it could mean for investors. A very busy hour still ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.
Welcome back. Stocks are set to kick off this week as investors await a slew of economic data in the coming days, including the December CPI report on Thursday. Wall Street looking for any signs of a potential pause or pivot in the Federal Reserve's rate hiking campaign in order to tame inflation and avoid a recession this year, though it may be a while until we hear some good news. Former U.S. Treasury Secretary Larry Summers saying Saturday he does not think the economy will return to a low interest rate environment anytime soon and that he suspects turmoil, turmoil for markets in 2023. Is he right? Let's bring in Jamie Cox, managing partner at Harris Financial Group. Jamie, good morning to you. Markets saw nice gains on Friday on this idea that with this job support in mind, maybe the Fed will start to slow its pace of rate increases. But then you balance that with what uh, Larry Summers is saying over the weekend. Uh, what do you think? Is the market right or is Summers right? Well, you know, Simi, good morning. So, you know, last year the market had to grapple with 450 basis points of Fed increases, and now it's the economy's turn. So this year is going to be pretty rocky, particularly in the back half of uh, of this year, uh, because basically what's going to happen as the rate cuts, excuse me, rate hikes actually start to take hold, you're going to see some of the problems that come along with it, like job cuts. And you're starting to see the beginnings of those start now, both in tech, and it seems like that's feeding into other places like finance with Goldman Sachs. So as we move throughout the first quarter, you're probably going to see that permeate even further into other industries. And that will be probably the beginning of the end of the uh, of the growth cycle for this particular part of the economy. So we're going to see that happen. I don't think that the market is going to have as difficult a time this year as it did last year, because it probably will mean that rate hikes will you know, go away. And I don't know if there'll be a necessarily a pivot very soon, but I think that what you're going to see is a signal that the Fed is going to back off of rates probably closer to the March-April timeframe. So that's what I'm sort of expecting. And that will really help markets calm down, because once markets get some type of idea that the rate hike mm-hmm. regime is starting to roll over, then the dollar will stop going up. And that's going to make a big difference yeah, you, in U.S. equities. It seems like you like health care here. Tell us why. Yeah. So one of the reasons why is because uh, the dollar has been so strong and a lot of healthcare right. companies are domiciled in Europe. And a lot of those European companies have large dollar-based revenues. So you have the, the reverse opportunity that we saw in the, in the last decade where you have a strong uh, dollar, but, you know, excuse me, weak dollar, strong euro pound that has reversed. And you're starting to see that currency translation sort of favor, you know, for large pharma. And with that extra earning potential that they have, they're going to start doing M&A. And you saw, you're starting to see a little bit of that today with AstraZeneca. So I believe that particular sector is going to be poised for growth as we move forward. It's been defensive in 2022, offensive 23 and 24. And probably what you're going to hear when JP Morgan's healthcare conference kicks off is that there is an enormous amount of innovation that people have been ignoring over the last year, paying attention to rate hikes or ignoring all the good things that are happening in healthcare. And you're going to start to see those particular technologies and innovations be displayed. And there's a lot of money to be made uh, in biotech land. So that's a good place for investors. And always, anytime you have a market turnover, there's a leadership group change. Technology is no longer in the lead. It's going to be healthcare from here forward. Jimmy, as we wrap up here, I want to get your thoughts on the major reversal we're seeing in oil prices right now. We saw the last three months of the year, right, oil went down significantly. And here we're up about 4% on the day. Uh, Where do you see prices headed this year? Yeah, I think oil is going to be uh, a little higher. You're not going to have such a, a large, you know, uh, release of SPR. But you also have the bigger issue, which is actually positive overall, China reopening. 
And that's going to create a larger surge for energy prices. And so you'll see energy probably stay in the 80s and 90s this year, simply because you have you know, a very large fraction of the world's population being brought back online and with it, larger energy consumption. So uh, unless there's some end to the Ukraine-Russia conflict, which doesn't seem likely soon, you're going to see energy prices stay very high. And that's another sector where investors can do very well. Energy prices, anything over 70 Huge, okay. huge opportunity for dividend plays. Yeah, WTI crude now at 76 bucks, And yeah, I was seeing Pioneer uh, Natural Resources, as you point out, 10% dividend. Not bad. Yeah. Jamie Cox, great to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Still on deck, U.S. investigators probing hedge funds over their dealing with Binance in the wake of the FTX collapse. We've got the full story ahead here on WEC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. Let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. We go out to Philip Mena with NBC in New York with the latest. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Seema. Good morning. President Biden's border policies in the spotlight as he gears up for the North American summit in Mexico City. He'll meet with the Mexican president as well as the Canadian prime minister to talk trade and stopping the flow of drugs at the border. Yesterday, the president visited the southern border for the first time since taking office. It's been at the center of a humanitarian crisis with a record number of migrant crossings in the past few months. The trip comes days after the Biden administration unveiled a new plan that includes tougher border restrictions while also offering a legal pathway for 30,000 migrants a month. Tens of thousands of Californians are without power as yet another atmospheric river batters the state. Forecasters are warning about a relentless series of cyclones over the coming days. Out west, 32 million are under flood alerts and 28 million are under wind alerts. Buffalo Bills player DeMar Hamlin is on the road to recovery. As tributes poured in from around the NFL in the last week of the regular season, players warmed up in shirts with Hamlin's number three. The three on the 30-yard lines were painted in the Bills' blue or red, while the Bills, meanwhile, they showed love to Hamlin right at the start of the game. New England decided to defer after winning the toss. And here's Hines on the run back, breaking a tackle and taking it past midfield. And down the sideline he goes. This is storybook. It sure was. It was three years and three months since their last kickoff return for a touchdown. Naheem Hines runs one in on the opening kickoff, and that set the tone for the day. The Bills sprint by the Patriots 35 to 23. It truly was a, a storybook setting yesterday there in Buffalo. Seema, It was. Uh, great stuff. Philip. as always, thank you. We'll see you soon. As we head to break, we are watching shares of Macy's. Uh, trading lower by 5%, the company late Friday warning its holiday quarter sales will come in lighter than expected at the low to midpoint of its $8.16 to $8.4 billion range. Macy says the spending squeeze will likely continue into this year. Weakness spreading across the rest of the retail sector. Check out shares of Kohl's, Nordstrom also falling ahead of the open. We're back after this.
stocks looking to keep the new year momentum rolling as investors gear up for fresh inflation data and talk from the top Fed head this week. Futures slightly higher. A violent scene in Brazil as thousands storm key political buildings in the country's capital, demanding the newly seated president be removed from office. The very latest on that developing situation and potential market implications. And newly minted House Speaker Kevin McCarthy set to face his first test in power, with McCarthy potentially having to pay up on key concessions made to secure that seat. It's Monday, January 9th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Seema Modi and for Brian Sullivan. Let's get right to how your trading day is shaping up here. Futures are higher across the board with the Nasdaq seeing a gain of around uh, 61 points in pre-market. The Dow Jones Industrials uh, indicated higher by 122 points. And this comes after the major indexes saw their best single day gain since late November on Friday. All three major indexes surging more than 2% following that job support. And if you take a look at the, do- the bond market, we were above 4% mid last year. Here we are below 4%, the 10-year yield at 3.59%. Oil prices attempting to rebound at this hour following an 8% drop last week. Uh, right now, WTI crude up about 3.5%. It seems like that China reopening story back in play. And speaking of China, let's take a look at international markets. The Shanghai Composite closing slightly higher on China's reopening, while Brazil's EWZ looking lower after rioters stormed that country's capital. We've got more on that story coming up. EWZ down 1.1%. Let's get a check on some of this morning's other top stories. Silvana Hanau with those. Silvana, good morning. Good morning, Seema. Well, Elon Musk is making the case to move the trial over a Tesla shareholder lawsuit from California to his home state of Texas. Lawyers for Musk are arguing he won't be able to get a fair trial in the Golden State because negative local media coverage against Musk has biased potential jurors. The trial for the shareholder lawsuit stems from Musk's tweets in August 2018 when he said he has sufficient financing to take Tesla private and is slated to begin next Tuesday. Apple shares. Apple appears to be starting the hiring process for retail workers in India as it prepares to open its first flagship store there. Apple's career page has listed openings for different jobs in various locations within India. The news was first reported by the Financial Times, which says the implying of several locations suggests Apple is working on other stores beyond the one set to open in Mumbai as early as March. And U.S. investigators have reportedly subpoenaed hedge funds over their dealings with crypto exchange Binance. According to The Washington Post, prosecutors are looking at the relationship between the two sides as part of a broader probe into Binance possibly bypassing money laundering rules. The Post adds that the subpoenas do not necessarily mean investigators will bring charges against Binance or its officials, noting they are still discussing a potential settlement with the exchange and weighing whether they have enough evidence to even bring charges, Seema. All right, uh, Silvana, thanks. We had it. Let's turn to Washington, where Kevin McCarthy is set to face his first test under his new role as House Speaker. McCarthy securing the position late Friday after five days of chaos and 15 rounds of votes. Concessions, though, made by McCarthy may rear their head as lawmakers take up rules to govern the new Congress and unite a fractured party. Elon Moy joining us now. Uh, And of course, this could be a a big test for McCarthy. He got the speakership. But what's next, Elon? Yeah, that's right, Seymour. House Republicans are hoping to present a united front when they reconvene today after last week's bitter infighting. 
A sign bearing Speaker of the House has finally gone up over Kevin McCarthy's office following that historic 15 rounds of voting. GOP representatives Matt Gates and Mike Rogers have also publicly apologized to each other after nearly throwing punches during one late night session. Now, the task facing the GOP now is to adopt the rules that will govern the 118th Congress. That has to happen before they can start passing any bills. And Republicans are promising sweeping changes to fiscal policy. Here's Republican uh, James Comer, who initially opposed McCarthy before flipping his vote on Meet the Press yesterday. You look at the Republicans, we want to actually balance the budget, which means we're going to have to make spending cuts uh, in every area of state government except Social Security and Medicare, and that's a lot tougher job. So it's going to be tougher for Republicans to get to 218, but I believe we will. Now, among the steps the GOP is proposing, preventing bills that increase mandatory government spending from even getting a vote, eliminating a mechanism that automatically raises the debt limit when a budget resolution is passed, and requiring three-fifths of lawmakers to pass any bills that hike taxes instead of just a simple majority. Now, Republicans are trying to prove that they are serious about reining in government spending by codifying those procedural changes. SEMA hardline conservatives are vowing to hold GOP leadership accountable for their promises. Back over to you. Yeah, I was watching the, the drama late night on Friday with my husband. I think it was like 1 a.m. when it came in, the vote. Uh, but how difficult is it now for McCarthy to, to move forward and, and to govern with all these changes? Yeah, so one thing that I didn't mention, Seema, is that among the rule changes is a provision that would allow any single member to force a vote to oust McCarthy as speaker. So even though he holds the speakership now, it is a very tenuous position. And that's really important because it means that individual members hold a lot of power. And so that's one reason why they wanted to codify some of these rules changes, because whether or not Kevin McCarthy is speaker, the changes to the procedure for bringing policy and for bringing bills to the floor would still hold within these rules. So they're trying to create this sort of fail-safe mechanism to say, even if McCarthy and whatever deals we cut with him somehow down the road are no longer there, there's still a way for Republicans to ensure and these hardline conservatives to ensure that there is not a big influx of additional government spending. That's really important to them and one reason why they dug in so hard in last week's speakership votes. Makes sense. Alon Moy, thanks. Joining me now is Fordham Global Foresight founder and geopolitical strategist Tina Fordham, also former chief global political analyst at City. And Tina, good morning. Good morning. So now we, as we look forward to what happens next, uh, I'm curious, the debt ceiling talks, uh, how do you expect McCarthy to navigate those discussions? And do you, do you expect his opponents will use debt ceiling talks as a way to leverage or extract um, some of those deep spending cuts and what they're pushing for? Well, I have to say from where I sit here in London talking to mainly global investors, this whole fight over the speakership has been both mystifying and a pretty unedifying spectacle. But as you say, um, one of the two or three most important implications of the battle is what it means for raising the U.S. debt ceiling. Um, that isn't up again for until July, so there is still time. But I think there's real prospect for the so-called Taliban 20 to hold the process hostage. Um, they have promised to do so, and um, this is their ticket, really, to, um, to, to staying in power, which is to be disruptive. That's their, um, that's their USP.
And of course, investors want to know how does this change the economic agenda the Republicans sort of deploy in 2023? I think right now, amidst, uh, you know, a 2023 global market outlook that is full of some pretty big macro concerns, uh, the risk of recession, obviously, in inflation and what central banks will do being front and center. I don't think uh, outside of the you know immediate kind of inside politics that enough attention is being um, uh, spent by investors looking at these dynamics, because I actually think it is going to be pretty disruptive. Um, it probably will be more noise in the in the run up to the next raising of the debt ceiling. Um, it could be, you know, could contribute to, to some fatigue. If the U.S. is in recession uh, in summer when we're having this battle, um, it is going to make markets nervous. Biden's popularity rating, how do you expect it to fare going into this new year? Well, Biden's popularity rating was poor even as we went into midterms. Right. Um, and, and it defied gravity, right? I mean, the only thing that matters is if you're more popular than your than your challenger. Uh, that's a pretty low bar. Uh, we have a Republican challenger for the presidency, who former President Trump, who isn't campaigning. So we're in a kind of a strange lull at the moment when it comes to political signals coming out of Washington. I think that market participants are going to focus on the potential that the U.S. may swerve a, a recession and hope for the best and come back to looking at political dramas later. But of course, part of what McCarthy has done during the course of these negotiations is make it easier to turf him out of the speakership. Yeah. You know, Tina, stay right there. We want to get your thoughts on a developing story in Brazil where far-right protesters stormed the country's Congress and presidential palace Saturday, uh, insisting the recent presidential election was stolen and refusing to accept the victory by leftist Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, known as Lula. Of course, he's the new president. The scene uh, really similar to what happened at the U.S. Capitol just over two years ago. We're showing some of those scenes from Sunday. I just want to get your reaction, Tina, to what's playing out in Brazil. Sure. What did you make of it? Yes, I do. So um, what's playing out in Brazil? Well, two days after the anniversary of the January 6th events, January 8th, something remarkably similar takes place. Um, I think we have to be clear about what happened in Brasilia, in Brazil's capital. It was an attempted coup, and it appears that um, the so-called protesters were actually hoping uh, somewhat bizarrely for a military coup, meaning you've seen these uh, the, the, the clips where the protesters applauded when the military police arrived on the scene at the presidential palace. It appears that's because they thought that the police would join them uh, in the fight. So we really have to, to think about right wing extremism and this, you know, whether it's a demonstration effect or, uh, uh, you know, was the, was the result of uh, training or more, um, uh, you know, more direct influence is a question. Um, but we know that Steve Miller and Steve Bannon have been, um, you know, been talking about these tactics around the world, these, these disruptive tactics. And when, I think that yeah. 
I was just curious, you know, when looking at emerging markets, your your outlook on a country like Brazil, which for most of 2022 was a winning trade for investors, especially as oil prices rose. So, I mean, do politics really matter for investors or is it really the outlook on Brazil really pinned on what happens with commodities? Well, Brazil is very much a commodity story, but if it's overtaken by a period of uh, disruption, political disruption, um, then that becomes the story, right? And Brazil very much doesn't want to go back there, doesn't want to go back to those days. I was in the country not long ago. It's got so many things going for it, and this could be a more positive time for emerging markets, but it's just this kind of disruption that the, the pro-Bolsonaro protesters are after, and all eyes are whether President Lula can actually quell this dissent. And uh, the election was very close indeed, but it was not a contested election. There are questions in Brazil about the electoral machinery, etc. They've got an enviable system for elections that we in the U.S. Uh, would, would love to have, in fact. Um, so exploiting this uh, divide is going to undermine um, investor confidence in Brazil. In the immediate term, it'll, it'll hurt the real, it'll hurt the currency. If it's not resolved uh, shortly after all of this, then we have to think about uh, more prolonged disruption. Yeah, Brazil's widely traded EWZ down about 17% since Lula became the new leader. Tina, thank you for joining us to discuss politics around the world. That's Tina Fordham. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, China's borders reopening as Beijing continues to ease COVID restrictions, the potential pop that travel stocks could face as travelers return there. But first, as we head to break, some of your top trending stories. It's a sad day for many pasta lovers. Pasta brand Ronzoni announcing it will no longer produce its pastina variety due to manufacturing issues. The miniature shape has been a staple in soups, cheesy dishes, and other comfort foods for years. The Mega Millions jackpot, though, jumping to more than $1 billion after Friday night's drawing did not yield a winner. This marks the fourth time in over four years that the top prize has exceeded $1 billion. Wow. And an old NASA satellite is set to fall back to Earth from space. The agency looking to calm fears over the wreckage falling on anybody, saying the chances of that happening are, quote, very low. The 38-year-old satellite will burn up upon reentry, though some pieces are expected to survive older than me. Worldwide Exchange, you're back in a moment. Tens of thousands of travelers flocking to China's airports and train stations in the past 24 hours. This after the country reopened its borders this weekend to foreign travelers for the first time since March of 2020. Incoming travelers will no longer have to quarantine upon arrival. This is video of crowds at this train station that connects Hong Kong with the mainland. You can see packed. Uh, Trip.com reporting searches for outbound flights from mainland China increased by 83 percent between December 26th and January 5th compared to the previous two weeks. Now, some of the beneficiaries, according to analysts at HBS, include Swire due to its commercial properties in Hong Kong. There's Cathay Pacific, the airline, and hotel operator in Asia, CDL. The less obvious winners include Bank of China. Strategists there saying uh, they're really betting that cross-border business travel will now 
pick up. And BTIG analyst Jake Filler uh, raising his estimate on booking holdings, which has a larger business or presence in China compared to rivals like Expedia. All of this happening as COVID cases across the country are expected to surge further with the Lunar New Year just weeks away. Let's discuss all of this with Dwardwick McNeil. He's the managing director and senior policy analyst at Longview Global and a CNBC contributor. And Dwardwick, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Here's my question. Are investors right to bet on a revival in Chinese demand as the borders reopen at a time when uh, we are watching COVID cases rise across the country? And that's certainly prompting many countries, including the United States, to implement new restrictions. Yeah, I think it's a good question, Seema. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Look, I think this is, by and large, a good news story. I mean, if you look at the bookings data, which you cited some of, of uh, the bookings data, but you know, between January the 21st and the 27th, the traditional uh, Lunar New Year, we see bookings up about 540%. Prior to the pandemic, uh, Seema, this was a group of about 155 million Chinese traveling abroad, spending about $250 billion overseas. So if this was to materialize the way booking seems to suggest it is in the first part of the year, uh, this could be significant. But to your point, uh, I think it's time to take a more measured approach to this because this is going to be a bumpy start. We don't know if airlines have the capacity at the moment in terms of equipment and human resources to really capitalize on all of this interest. Uh, It could have inflationary pressure oil, uh, cost of services, luxury goods, just at the time that central banks are trying to get a handle on inflation. So it is a good news story, but there are some other things that we should be uh, at least uh, paying attention to with respect to this surge in in Chinese travel that's that's coming. Yeah. And what do you make, uh, what does this mean for President Xi, this abrupt policy reversal? Does this help him politically? It's hard to say, uh, Seema. There's been a lot of discussion amongst China analysts about how this happened uh, so quickly. We're starting to get some statements out of China that this was intentional and not because China's hands were forced by protest or forced by local uh, governments uh, running out of money uh, to fuel uh, their zero COVID policy procedures. It's hard to say. My sense is on a global uh, stage, it certainly has harmed Xi's image of a man who is in complete control. I think most people are still scratching their heads about how it can happen in such a chaotic way, especially if it was planned. I also want to get your take, Dordrick, on some new data uh, into CNBC showing that increasing COVID cases in China is impacting manufacturing in some factories. We have a supply chain heat map providers and logistic managers telling us orders are being canceled by factories because they do not have enough staff due to COVID cases. And, of course, this comes as orders at some of these facilities are uh, are down about 30 to 40 percent. There's also marine traffic telling CNBC they are tracking port productivity problems with Shanghai, where congestion is at the same level of when the city was locked down with COVID before uh, in April uh, of 2020. So I'm just curious your take here, Dwardrick. Yes, the China is reopening, but then this data from the manufacturing sec- sector telling us that perhaps it'll take some time to really see productivity improve. I think that's absolutely correct, Seema. This was always going to be a situation where as it moved from the tier one uh, cities, Beijing, Shanghai, out to some of the more uh, well-known manufacturing hubs, this was going to eventually impact uh, production uh, in China and therefore uh, help to snarl again 
This is a story we keep coming back to, a global supply chain. So, yes, I think that, that this is by and large a positive story with respect to the opening, but one that, again, we must be measured uh, and balanced in terms of how we think about and trade China in this first several weeks of the year because it will continue to move out into the manufacturing areas, into uh, the countryside, and that will have additional impacts on how well China's economy is able to function in the first half of the year. But I do think we get beyond this at some point, but I'm not ready yet to declare complete victory. Yeah. How does this change companies, their calculus on diversifying their supply chain to, to other countries like India? I mean, there was a story from the Financial Times that Apple is now starting to hire retail workers across across India. Look, I think the China plus one, and you know we've talked about this a little bit, is still a smart strategy for businesses, despite the China opening, despite what we think will happen uh, in in the economy in the latter half of the year. Uh, there's still just a lot of geopolitical uh, risk with having China as your single point of failure. But as you and I consistently talked about, there also needs to be some policy support from Washington to make plus one real and not just a statement that we use here in town. A regional trade policy would be would be helpful. But I still think it is smart for businesses to think about how you diversify your supply chain and have a minimum viable manufacturing capacity outside of China. It's a fascinating story, something I'm watching closely. I know you are as well. Dwardrick, always a great, was great to see you. That is Dwardrick McNeil. On deck, uh, we have Decatur Capital's Digas Wright standing by. He's going to lay out the busy trading day week ahead and the under-the-radar stocks high on his shopping list. And a reminder, tune in tomorrow for CNBC's live coverage at J.P. Morgan's healthcare conference. It's the largest healthcare investment forum in the industry and will feature interviews across the major names, CEOs of Pfizer, Moderna, Biogen, Gilead, and more. We're back in a moment. Welcome back. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. First with Salesforce. CEO Mark Benioff saying the company plans to reduce costs by as much as 3 to $5 billion, according to an audio recording obtained by Fortune. This after Salesforce announced last week it's reducing its workforce by 10, around 10%. Goldman Sachs looking to trim its headcount by about 3,200 positions this week, according to reports. The layoffs will likely be from within the firm's core trading and banking units. And take a look at shares of Alibaba rising on news that co-founder Jack Ma is giving up control of sister company Ant Group, a development that could lead to an IPO. John Deere announcing it will allow customers to repair their own farming equipment or take it to independent repair shops. The company has previously been accused of using proprietary software to restrict repair work. The National Labor Relations Board is set to hold a hearing today for Apple Store employees attempting to unionize at the tech giant's World Trade Center location. Apple has faced accusations it pressured workers about their union support. And hundreds of Tesla owners protesting across China over the weekend over the surprise cuts, price cuts they missed out on. Tesla announcing reduced prices for its Model Y and Model 3 vehicles on Friday. We did it. Now let's gear up for the trading day ahead. Today, Austin Goolsbee becomes the next president and CEO of the Chicago Fed. Goolsbee succeeds Charles Evans, who held that position for 15 years. And President Biden traveling to Mexico for a summit with the leaders of the country and Canada. 
Tuesday, we will get the latest NFIB survey and wholesale trade data. Fed Chair Jerome Powell is speaking at a central bank symposium in Sweden. We'll watch for his comments on the Fed's policy pivot, if there is one coming, and Boeing releasing Q4 and 2022 delivery figures. On Wednesday, it's all about housing with weekly mortgage application figures and earnings from KB Homes. The latest bankruptcy hearing for FDX also set to be held. Thursday, we get weekly initial jobless claims and the latest read on inflation with CPI figures. We also get earnings from Taiwan Semiconductor. Wrapping up the week on Friday, it's consumer sentiment data and banks kicking off earnings season. We'll also get results from Bank of America, Citigroup, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, BlackRock, as well as Delta Airlines and United Health. Who says we don't get you started for the, the wake? Uh, let's bring in Degas Wright, though, Degator Capital founder and CEO and CIO, as well as a CNBC contributor. Always great to see you. What's your biggest thing that you'll be watching this week? We just went through the whole calendar. <laughs> Well, you know, we just want to focus our investors on looking at the companies from four characteristics. We want to identify those companies that have competitive advantage, that are profitable, that have returning value back to shareholders through dividends, debt reduction, and also buybacks, and lastly, reasonable valuation. So, Seema, that's what we're going to focus on. We did see bond yields fall significantly on Friday, Degas, following the job support. I'm just curious what you make of that, if that's changing how much money you're putting towards fixed income, towards bonds in 2023? Well, one of the things that we've seen now is that you can start investing back into bonds. We talked about the fact that with bonds, you can get short-term bonds for about 4% yields. So the bond play is still very active now, and we're actually seeing some real interest in buying bonds again in our portfolios. I guess the question then is what happens this Thursday, right? If the inflation report, Degas, tells us that it's not cooling, that it's still relatively hot, how do you expect markets to react and what changes would, be make, would you be making to your portfolio? Well, what things that we're going to see that if the inflation is still hot, that means that the markets will probably pull back. Because there's going to be a concern that the Fed will have to continue to raise rates longer. And that's going to have a significant impact on markets. What we're seeing in that first half of 2023 is that we're going to be in a trading range anywhere from 3,600 up to about 4,000 on the S&P. But once the Federal Reserve and central bank starts to pause, we're going to see the markets recover. And that's what we're looking at in the second half of 2000 uh, in 2023. We've seen the dollar weaken significantly over the last five trading days. Is that making you more bullish on emerging markets? It, it does, because what we're seeing is that with the strong dollar, it was really adding to the inflation on the necessary goods in those emerging markets, particularly food and energy. So as we get a weaker dollar, that's going to be very positive for emerging markets going forward. Okay. Your top pick for this year? Yeah, some things that we're looking for, we're going back to what we want our investors to focus on. One is that uh, Interpublic Group is the leading marketing and advertising company in over 100 countries. It has a yeah. 11% free cash flow return on investment. And so that's a very good uh, return. Also, it has dividend yields of about 3% and a 1% uh, 
buyback okay. yield. Great. It that also has interpublic group. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. But your other two picks are Service Corp and ABB. So we got them in. Degas, thank you for joining us. That's Degas Wright. Futures indicated higher. That does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.